Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. God be praised for that, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the dead as the first fruits, which means there's more fruits. That's you and me. And everyone living will be raised and everyone believing will be raised to life eternal. God be praised for that. Here's a question that comes in from Tom who says, Hi, Pastor Wolfmuller. Hope you're well. I've been pondering how, as Christians, we should address higher criticism of the Bible and how we should understand the apparent discrepancies in the biblical text, especially in the gospel narratives. I recently read an article which explained that the apparent discrepancies in the gospels are there because it wasn't the objective of ancient writers to give a precise chronological account with precise details in every place. The article stated that in the case of the gospels, it was the writer's objective to tell the story of Christ's life, death, and resurrection in a way that would emphasize the theological points and that the writer wanted the reader to know and understand. So, I'm not sure if this would be the way you and other Lutherans would understand the topic, so I wanted to ask if you'd be willing to tackle the topic in a video podcast blog to help us lay people thanks, blessings in Christ. Thomas, well, here you go. This is a blog, Thomas, so hopefully this is helpful. Uh, the first is, when we talk about higher criticism, the, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of parts to higher criticism, but the basic assumption of higher criticism is that the Bible is not divinely inspired. Maybe the teaching of the Bible is divinely inspired, or parts of the Bible are divinely inspired, but the words of the Bible, at least for the higher critic, are not divinely inspired. Higher criticism wants to take a scientific approach to the text, and it so it looks at all the different manuscripts and puts those together. So it especially is going to be interested in like why this family of gospel manuscripts in Matthew is a little bit different than this other uh, set of family of manuscripts in the Gospel of Matthew and so forth and so on. So it's it's actually comparing different, slightly different versions of Matthew and Mark and so forth, especially in the New Testament, which is probably because in the New Testament, these books were copied so quickly because the Gospel was spreading so quickly that here's a word missing here or whatever. But it also wants to compare the different Gospels, so it likes to compare Matthew and Mark and Luke and see who got what. It Higher critics mostly will also point to a Q source, which is a lot of the sayings of Jesus, and they'll say that, like, Matthew and Luke relied on Mark and Q and, and this kind of nonsense. The worst thing about higher criticism, I think, is that it, it reads these manuscripts as political propaganda. I mean, it reads Moses, and it goes back and talks about the D party and the E party, or it reads Isaiah and... First Isaiah, second Isaiah, third Isaiah, fourth Isaiah, who knows how many Isaiahs there are now for these guys. And it looks at the Matthew Mark and it and again it, it sees them as as political parties. Their theology is an ideology, and they're trying to make an argument for their particular brand of whatever it is they're trying to convince people of. It's just a really dirty way to read the Bible. I mean, it's just it makes you it, you know, it's like you need to wash your brain out because it doesn't approach the text as a gracious gift from God, but as something to be, yeah, it's amputated. Ugh. The, the, uh, in the old fight at Seminex, that was back in the 70s in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, some of this higher criticism got in to the faculty at the seminaries and at the St. Louis Seminary especially, and they were fighting about it. And the 
um, the pious Christians critiqued it, and they said, look, we need to have a ministerial use of reason, not a magisterial use of reason. That God has given us our reason as a good gift to understand the text. It stands below the text as a servant of the text, not above the text as Lord over the text. So we come to the scriptures with a humble heart, ready to receive, recognizing that that by the scriptures, God humbles himself to refute the wisdom of the wise and so forth. Now, what do we make of the Gospels? It's quite beautiful that the Lord has given himself not two, not three, but four witnesses of his life, death, and resurrection in the four Gospels. Two of them by apostles, Matthew and John, and two of them under the supervision of apostles, Luke under the supervision of Paul, and Luke really treats this as an investigative endeavor. He writes about what he's doing. And Mark under the supervision of Peter. Mark being closely connected to these events, but not a disciple of Jesus. Probably, it was probably Mark's house where they had the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. And uh, so Mark was, Mark was hanging around. He was part of the extended family of the disciples. So, so we have these four distinct um, perspectives. I think the article, Thomas, that you read is right in this sense, that um, each of the gospel writers is interested in advancing the, not just the life of Jesus, the per, but also the person and the work and the teaching of Jesus. So they are, they're not to be understood in strict chronological order. You, you simply can't do it. For example, when did Mary wash the feet of Jesus? If you read it in, in the Gospel of John, it happened before the Palm Sunday. If you read it in the other Gospels, it happened maybe on Monday, Thursday or something. So the, the events come in different orders, so you got to sort those things out. But I think one of the easiest things that we do as Christians is when you see two similar sermons, instead of saying, oh, this is one sermon that they're putting in different context, just to say, well, Jesus probably preached very similar sermons in two different places. We, we know that, for example, when we have in the Gospels the feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000. If you would have the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew and the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark, you'd say, oh, it was probably the same event, and they just took it and put it in different places. But we have both in both Gospels, and so we say, ah, it was actually different events. We have the teaching of the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and then in what's called the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 11. Well, it's probably, and it's slightly different. It's probably because Jesus taught it differently in two different times, and they're getting the two different accounts that are there. Matthew especially groups together the teachings and works of Jesus in five distinct sections. And so you can see this in the outline of Matthew's gospel. He's got the introduction, and then five parts, five big sermons where he lumps together the teaching of Jesus in these thematic sections. And then he has the end, uh, which is the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Uh, when, you, when you come to it, though, what we don't want to say is that they get it wrong. So when they do give us a, a historical account, then we want, to take it, mm, we want to take it seriously as a historical account. It's part of reading the Bible with integrity, that we we read the history as history, and the theology as theology, and the Psalms as Psalms, and the parables as parables, and so forth. And so when the gospel writers do give us the history, we want to take it serious as history. This especially is true 
when it comes to the accounts of the resurrection. It's one of the it's one of the criticisms that people will bring to the Gospels and say, look, the accounts of the history of the resurrection are all contradictory. And we don't want to throw up our hands and say, well, they're not interested in history and chronology. They're just throwing things up there to make a theological point. No, if, it gives, if, if the Bible presents itself to us as history, we with integrity say, well, we're going to take it as history. And so we have to do some work, but it's good work to do. And when we do sort out the chronology of the resurrection, it's beautiful. It unfolds beautifully. Uh, so we've published the chronology of the events of the resurrection on the website, and I'd refer you to that. It, it's really quite marvelous to see and uh, see how that works. So we want to read the Bible with integrity as God's Word, rejoicing that God is an author. Remember that God gives himself this vocation as a writer of the Word, and he gets to pick the words that are there, and it would be vocational theft we would take away this great work that the Lord has claimed, laid claim to if we said that he did not, in fact, inspire the prophets and the apostles to write his very words, not just his ideas, not just his images. Those are certainly true, but even his words. So, Thomas, I hope this helps. Thanks so much for the question. God be praised for that, and uh, keep them coming. Thank you for listening to What Not the Podcast. This is great fun. God be praised. It's wonderful. Uh, questions can come to wolfmuller.co slash contact. Also, if you listen to this on the Spotify app, there's a way, there's a way on the website, wolfmuller.co, audio, What Not the Podcast. Click on there, and there's a way that you can actually send voice messages to the podcast, I think. Someone has done it before. So... If you're under 22, you can probably figure it out. You can send me a voicemail with a question. That'd be cool. Uh, that's great. Also, wolfmeal.co slash Wednesday. That's how to subscribe to the Wednesday whatnot. It's been three months since I've given away a free book. So if I, I'm going to try to remember this tomorrow morning, I'm going to try to give away six free books. So if you're not subscribed to Wednesday whatnot, go and subscribe to that guy. That puts you on the list. I'm going to give away all these books. That'll be great fun. Uh, so that's there. And, uh, yeah, that's all. So you support wolfmiller.co slash support. There's a support button there. And uh, I, I appreciate that. That's, uh, that's also really kind and generous of you. Uh, God's peace be with you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.